Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum, and thank you so much for tuning in. This show is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. if you're on the East Coast and every 4 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday if you're on the West Coast. There's a little banner. Uh, and this is, of course, presented and sponsored by the International Brotherhood of Magicians, who've been doing incredible work throughout the uh, quarantine pandemic time, as well as before and after. Uh, go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join to become a member or to renew your membership. Uh, we just had a uh, transfer of the presidency from Alexander. So a huge thank you to Alexander. Uh, he had an incredible, uh, but a crazy time to be president of uh, of this wonderful magic organization. He did an incredible job and has been such a uh, an amazing supporter of, of this program um, and many other programs. So huge thanks to Alex and a huge congratulations to incoming president of the IBM, Stephen Bergazzi, who's been a guest on the show uh, as a regular guest, also as a surprise guest. Um, so uh, congrats and good luck to uh, to Stephen. Uh, our new president of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. And as always, this is available in podcast form on Apple Music or iTunes, depending on how up-to-date your software is. Just go to whobookstat.com for more info. You can click on the link. And uh, crazy enough, uh, if you leave reviews, uh, five-star reviews are great, and you download the podcast, it uh, goes on the, the rankings. And according to uh, the iTunes rankings, uh, this show is uh, top 30 in Japan. I didn't realize we had such a Japanese contingency. Top 30 in Japan, top 50, I believe, in Germany. The, the last name of Greenbaum didn't scare him away, so that's good. And in the UK, US, and Canada is in the top 100 in Performing Arts Podcast. So thank you so much for making that happen. You can also follow me on social media at Harrison Comedy. That's on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok, but I'm an adult, so I'm not on it as much. Um, but Twitter and Instagram at Harrison Comedy. Now to our uh, our special guest. I'm so excited. Uh, not only is he an incredibly accomplished magician, uh, he had a show, a one-man show, Life and Other Deceptions, that was a huge hit, um, has toured and is amazing. He is the showman uh, for The Illusionist. He has amazing releases in magic. His card to pocket is a seven DVD set. It's one of the most comprehensive things I've ever seen. I think it's over 22 hours on card to pocket. Definitely worth picking up. Uh, so in addition to being an accomplished magician, the winner of Close-Up Magician of the Year, not just once, but twice, that's the maximum times you could win it. Uh, he is also an accomplished actor, screenwriter, director. He's been in over 250 hours worth of television and film. That is a lot. Uh, although in quarantine, I feel like I've watched that much. Um, but if you started watching Steve Valentine things in quarantine, you might have a few left to go still. Um, so excited to bring him up. He's coming to us from Canada. This is truly an international show. Make some noise. Get excited from your home or apartment. It's Steve Valentine, everybody. Hello, <laughs> sir. That's the best introduction I've ever had in my entire life. That was amazing. Um, you got it all right. <laughs> How are you doing? You look great. How is your uh, quarantine been? It's all so lighting far? and makeup, mate. It's all like, it's good. What can I say? It's quarantine. It's uh, it's actually been great time with the family. Uh, it's been all with the family. I have um, I have a lot of Russian in-laws, so I've I've been up north in the mountains with them, kind of just hanging out in one house, which has been very Stephen King, especially yeah, early yeah, on. Yeah, you know, the Russians uh, very well known for their sense of humor. <laughs> yes, you know, there's that line. Uh, what are you German? I think. What are you Russian? Kind of also. Kind of, <laughs> unless there's a, add a few vodkas, and then um, and then the sky's the limit. They're just very loud and very raucous and very funny. So yeah, you get both sides of the spectrum there. Yeah, well, if you, I don't know if they know any people, but if you want to talk to them and ask their uh, friends and relatives to uh, to to change the election in the other direction this time, that would be really helpful. They're, 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 you know what? The Russians are, are big conspiracy theorists. 
Ah. You, uh, yeah, and it's never what you think. So uh, <laughs> I, I learned a long time ago not to bring up that topic. Fair. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to get to because your your life and career is unbelievable. So unbelievable, in fact, it uh, is the basis of a one-man show that is very good. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Um, you're born in uh, outside of London. Yes. Um, and you receive a magic set. Uh, and I believe your siblings also received some stuff uh, that was sort of prophetic. Is that yeah, true? my brother got a, my brother got a, my mum joined this catalog club. And in order to join the catalog club, which was big back, back, back then, you know, back in the day, um, you had to <laughs> buy a couple of things. So she got my sister a chemistry set. My brother had some toy soldiers and she got me a little magic kit. And it came with a hat and a little glue on moustache and white gloves and it had the whole thing. And um, your glue on mustache right now looks amazing, by the way. The what? Sorry, your glue on mustache looks impeccable tonight, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes, I have a lot of experience with glue on mustaches. We can talk about those later if you want. Um, anyway, but years later, my uh, my sister is a scientist, my brother joined the army, and then you know, I'm the black sheep of the family, I'm out and about doing the entertainment and the magic and everything else. So it's a very prophetic uh, moment. I reminded my mum about it just the other day and she she didn't remember. And I was like, remember you <laughs> Yeah, pretty crazy. I always find that amazing because like there are certain moments in your childhood that are burned into your memory and you yeah. just assume your parents also have a strong memory of it. And sometimes they don't even know that it happened. No, they're like, who are you? Oh, oh right, yes, that's, you're my son. Uh, it's so true, it's so true. You remember the stuff from your perspective. Like, okay, that photograph, which one's me? I mean, that's my twin brother. Clearly you can't tell. Which one? Really identical twins. No, we can't we're not. Two apart. <laughs> so my brother became a soldier, and I began. Look at those teeth. Look at those English teeth. First thing I got fixed when I came over here. I got a lot <laughs> of comments about my teeth, and I'm like, "Thank you, I bought them here, um, America. You can't buy teeth like this in England." But yeah, yeah, real nice little. See, the family was like, "We're not going to get you dental work because this is lucky. Having this gap is lucky, but it's not. It's just." It's <laughs> I mean, it definitely stands out. Here's a photo of you, and uh, <laughs> let's make sure the people know where it is. There we go. Yeah. We got a little circle. That's, that's Butlins. That is Butlins, 1985. That's uh, yeah. That's me with a perm and a. Oh God, that's a holiday camp, you see, and uh, you're part of the entertainment team. It was a great experience. Got paid really bad money, and they I heard, and I heard it's a very creative name. The people that perform at Butlins, what were they called? Redcoats. Yeah. I can't, I, I'm looking at this picture. I don't know where that name comes well, from. They should have called us white pants, but that would have been <laughs> unless you're an executive. If you're an executive, you get to wear the black tuxedo, you see. But the Butlins thing in England is the reason I did Butlins was because most of the big variety names have had spent some time in Butlins. And so it became kind of this rite of passage. This is um, I was a member of the proscenium theater company uh, from being a very young lad up until I was about 17. And so this was part of an old time music call number that we did. Yeah, that was a long time and ago. And Butlins was like a, like a Catskills kind of thing, right? Yeah, totally. You got to do the bingo. You had to call the bingo, dance with the old ladies, um, stay up all night. It was English, so you got to do the sing-along. You know, Then you did the variety shows. I did tap dancing. I had a magic spot. Uh, I was just, it was great when you're a teenager and you're just, you know, you're getting drunk and having a good time. And, you know, it's uh, it, was a, it was a good rite of passage for me. Well, the next step from the Catskills of England is obviously Yugoslavia. Uh, that's the, <laughs> of the next step. <laughs> of course, it's the obvious. You know, there's that line in the Muppet movie where is where I think, uh, one of the characters says, uh, "Not Gon Gonzo says, I'm going to go to India to break into show business," and they're like, "Well, do you want to go to Hollywood with us?" And he's like, "Yeah, but if you want to do it the easy way." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, I got a. I just got back from Butlins. 
and broke up with a girlfriend. And I was like, I want to get out. I want to get out of the country like you do, you know, as an emotional teenager. And this job came up looking for entertainers. And I remember going to London to uh, was the Strand, Ch Chang Cross Road, and I had a meeting in this little kind of tacky uh, uh, travel agent's office. And this guy's like, right, so here's the thing. You'll be in charge of a nightclub. You have to do 12 different acts. There's two 20-minute spots a night. That's me. He says, you've got to do, um, uh, it doesn't matter what they are. And then you DJ until like two or three in the morning. And then you get one night off and then you start off again. One night off a week. So six nights a week, essentially. Right. And uh, so you're just like a one man. At that point, it was like being a one man red coat. So, yeah. So I would do, I bought every trick I had and every trick I wanted to learn. I bought with me in a massive trunk. And then I put, um, I did everything from Yugoslavia, everything I learned from Butlin. So the, the, Miss Lovely Legs competition, you know, beer drinking. I did a beer drink. There it is. They built that for me. I did a beer. Couldn't get away with that now, could you? <laughs> At least it was legs. I think that's yeah. the saving grace. All dudes, too. That was the amazing thing. Right. But um, we did, I did a beer drinking competition where I put the English against the Germans, against the French, um, and against the locals. If you can imagine that it was very fierce. It was, I was a very brave boy. Um, but it was it was so much fun because I could try anything I wanted to try. And most of the time I'd fail, but it didn't matter. I was in Croatia, I, I, I was in Split, and at this place called Bashkovoda, little, so if I failed, it didn't matter, you know? So I got a chance to go on stage and kind of find my voice as an entertainer and, and, try, and, and try and work out what that was. And then just try new tricks every night, go out there and just do stuff. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty great. I gotta say, I, I remember this this one guy hands me a videotape at the end of, um, this is like 86, 87, at the end of one show, he's on vacation. He's like, here's a video. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. He says, yeah, we, we, we filmed the show, you, you should have it. And I said, oh no, I said, why don't you, why don't you keep it as a souvenir? And he, and he, he thrusts the video back in my hand and goes, no, 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 you, you, you keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, it was that bad, was it? Uh, but, you know, and that was when I met, um, you don't, you don't know, who you who you meet right or, or who you affect as an entertainer at any point and i remember uh i got a tweet a couple of years back from jamie allen you know the illusionist from england yeah. who sent me this lovely message saying that he was a kid about eight years old and his dad had brought him to yugoslavia and he came every night to see the magic and apparently i was very nice to them and invited them backstage and showed them my big trunk of props and and it kind of inspired him to be a magician so that was very that was a very lovely moment. Also made me feel very old. I would like to point out. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. I, the only, I mean, the only reason I left was because the basically the war came, you know, and all what was fascinating, I should write about it one day, was all my friends in the village, because it was a small village, Bashka border, the, the factions started splitting up and people that had been friends now started arguing and, um, and we just kind of saw this dark cloud of war coming. Um, I basically just got out one night and there was just like, you really, we should take you to the airport, put you on a plane. And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. And one of the things too, like in terms of like childhood magic, you, you start off as a magician, you're going yeah. to a magic club, right? Uh, I think it's South End by the Sea is that is the name of- uh... South End on Sea, yeah. South End Sorcerer's yeah. Society. The South End Sorcerer's Society. I'd, I'd compete. <laughs> I would never smile in a picture because of my teeth, you see. That was the problem. Um, 
South End, I, I, when that I was- explains that photo, but it doesn't really explain uh, this uh -oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> the, I can understand the not smile, but the teeth don't doesn't explain the makeup. Yeah, well, this is my this is me doing a skull macabre skull act, obviously inspired by McBride. I mean, clearly, you know, everybody was doing that kind of stuff. I could say that um, I put this kind of fire and skull act together uh, for an old time musical show, and then I would open. It was an opening act for these. I, it was completely wrong, but it went well. Uh, it was an opening act for like these old time variety artists. So people like Frankie Vaughan, who would come out and do like top hat and tap dancing in the second half. I always liked the opening act. It made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Alvin Stardust. And there was this old um, uh, old singer from the 30s, 40s called Ruby Murray. I mean, all these kind of classic acts. And then I was going and doing that. I, I, there was so much fire and smoke. Um, I, I was hired to do the Alvin Stardust tour. Alvin Stardust was kind of like this English glam rock guy from the 70s. And and uh, when I met him, he was a lovely guy. But when he went out to do his set after I'd been on stage, he couldn't breathe because of all the smoke because the, the I hadn't put enough lighter fuel on the rope. And so it was smoldering on stage. So he was pretty pissed. So I, I, I only did the one night, but there you go. And I don't want to. I don't want to uh, uh, skip ahead too much. But just to yeah. foreshadow, so you are opening up for these glam rock people. One of the roles that you get cast, uh, you've been cast more than once, is rock star. Is there yeah. are any of those rock stars that you opened up, uh, sort of inside of some of these characters? No, no, um, they're based on people I've met uh, in LA. So I've met a lot of rock stars. You know, there's a lot of rock stars who are amateur magicians. They love magic and so um this character this is Derek Jupiter from I'm in the band he was more a, a blend between Steven Tyler and just just like a not so smart but very um very uh, arrogant uh, rocker he was a lot that was a lot of fun to play that part because you get to do you get to do you get to be a rock star without having to like train for the rock we had a guy come in who did the rock screams you know and um, and then I got to wear this amazing wig. And I used to get I used to get fan mail. They'd say we love your hair and we love your voice, and I'd be like, thank you. None of those are mine. But it's very <laughs> nice. um, but I had so much fun doing doing that character, doing that show. It was all slapstick. It was like Three Stooge slap, slapstick comedy. The other one that you showed there was from Psych, um, and that was the hundredth episode, which was I think the most fun I've ever had on a show ever. I won't tell Crossing Jordan. <laughs> yeah, as a guest star, as a guest star, because yeah, yeah. that was with that was with the almost the entire cast of of uh, Clue of the movie Clue. Amazing, Tim Curry who wasn't well, um, and then and then me. So you know, like was it Christopher Lloyd? I'm, I'm like working and hanging out with Chris with Doc Brown, and just it, the whole thing was surreal. It was a lot of fun. And we're skipping ahead a little bit to your acting career, which we will get to for sure. But uh, I, I there was there is a tragic moment. Um, that it, where you so you're saying there's a lot of tragic moments in my career, but continue, yes. Um, but right after one of those magic meetings, you were 16, your dad passed away. Which did uh, did those magicians end up sort of coming surrogate father figures? Was that something that sort of happened? Yeah, they, they did. And there was um it was it was literally right after a South End Sorcerer's meeting. I we got back into the car, my dad picked me up and we were driving home. And um the weird part about it was I kind of had this feeling. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, well, what would happen if dad had a heart attack right now? You know, I just kind of, 
one because I didn't know how to drive and it was late and I think he'd had a couple of beers so I was like what would happen if and um, and then we get home and he pokes his head in the living room. I was going to stay up and read some magic and he pokes his head in the living room. And he's like, I'm, are you going up? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to stay up. He's like, all right, bye. He always said bye. He never said goodnight. And um, and that was it. And then he had a heart attack and they took him to the hospital. And uh, the last next time I saw him, he wasn't, uh, he was dead. So it was pretty brutal. And these guys were great, South and Sorcerer Society. I mean, they meant a lot to me as a kid growing up. I joined the club when I was 10. It's an adults-only club, but they they made an exception for me. And um, uh, they, when I decided to move to America, they uh, I I had to sell everything I had, all my magic, you know, um, and to, to make up enough, get enough money. And they bought almost everything. I mean, books, the tricks they already had, tricks that didn't work anymore. Um, uh, Harry Barron, who's this kind of classic name in in magic, if. He had a magic shop called Kmart Magic. Kmart Magic is still alive, you know? And Harry bought a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I remember his wife was just always hammering at him, you know? And she was just like, why are you buying this stuff? You already have it. And he's like, I'm helping the boy out. And then he printed um, these booklets for me that Harry would always, um, that I could sell while I was working on how to cheat at cards. He had these booklets made up and you could, you could buy them from him and he would put your name as the author. Right. And so he printed up a whole, he was lovely. I mean, everybody was so lovely. Um, and then this character, Dick Turpin, who was this old street performer character. If you read about the history of magic, you'll read about these two guys, um, Harold Spencer and uh, Dick Turpin. And they were kind of these, these two itinerant street performers who would often go into a pub. One, one would be the magician. The other would just be a punter. And they, <laughs> they used to make a lot of money. So uh, Howard, Howard Spencer, um, just discovered the other day, I was reading an old magic magazine. I discovered Howard Spencer died riding his bicycle home um, across a bridge in London and went into the Thames. These are interesting things that you don't know about <laughs> or need to know about, but it was fascinating. But no, Dick was, I said bye to Dick Turpin. And um, yeah, we jumped on a plane and just went to America. It's pretty crazy. And actually somebody asked, and if you are watching, uh, a lot of people are watching live right now, uh, we do get to see all the comments. So any questions that you have, keep those coming in. There'll be time yeah. to end the show to go through as many as we can. But yeah. uh, Kristen Chittenden said, Steve, were you ever nervous when moving from England to the USA? No, because uh, I, I really had like $2,000 in your pocket or something, right? Yeah, I didn't, I only had a, uh, maybe at the most, maybe a grand, I think. Um, you know what? Youth comes with a certain naivety that I think is there on purpose because you, you're never going to leave the house or try anything if you don't believe that you can jump out of the nest and fly. And for me, it was just the next logical step. I had magic. I always thought I could make a living doing magic while I was pursuing the acting career. And that was, that was the goal. And we went to LA and, and cause that's where it happens. Basically a friend of mine, Sue Devaney, who's a British act, really well-known British actress, had said to me, oh, you know, we should go knock on doors and in, in, in America and knock on some agents' doors and show them some British actors, you know? <laughs> and she said, you should do that. You can do that. You don't You don't have any ties. You, you Basically, you've got nothing going on for you. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. Um, and, uh, I, but it put the little seed in my, in my head. So it's what we ended up doing. And um, years later, this is so weird, when I did the one-man show, Life and Other Deceptions, which is that it's about it's a combination of magic and stories. So it is that journey of coming to LA. The whole show is about that and being an actor and a magician and 
fight, finding they don't really work well together if you want to be an actor. It's difficult to be a magician. Um, I was putting the show on and I got a Facebook message from Sue that she was in LA, hadn't seen or spoken to her in 30 years or so, and uh, maybe 25 years. And she came and saw the show and I quote her in the show. So it was kind of a very strange, all like very weird life moment. And also there was a weird thing because as soon as you got to LA, a British couple kind of took you guys in, right? Yeah, there was a, well, there, you know, when you go, when you just jump in and you just go for it, which is my mantra. Like for me, there's like, you, you, you can, I was saying this the other night, you can, you can work on something until it's perfect and then you're never going to get to do it. Right. Or you can just jump in and learn as you go. I, re I really believe, except, unless you're a doctor, in which case, get it perfect. Exactly. <laughs> Please practice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the second time you've done it. Lovely. Uh, but I, I think, I, I believe in learning on the job. I think that up a point. I think that's, that's, that's it. So, um, we arrived in LA. I, I had I see my wife and I. I had no money. I, we had a little bit of money. I had no job. Didn't know anyone. And and I remember we stopped at the first apartment complex we stopped at was run by an English couple. And they said, uh, "Are you?" Um, uh, I remember they were like, "Do you have any credit?" And I was like, "I had no idea what credit was really." And, <laughs> and, and I didn't have a job. But they said because I was from English from the old country, they were going to give me a break and let me rent without a credit check, without anything, as long as I promised to get a job. And then the lady who worked there. Um, uh, who was the manager, the wife of the manager, she said, oh, you know what, David Orgel's in, she's, she worked at Giorgio's in Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. And she said, David Orgel's, which is an antique silver place there, was looking for a, a salesman. And I was like, oh, I can do that. I'll sell, I'll sell anything. I can sell silver, yeah, antique silver. And so, so she set up an appointment and I got a job there. Talk about lucky. Um, so I immediately got a job and then so this guy Norris, he says to me, "So what? You know, what, what's your plans?" And I was like, "Well, I'm going to break into acting, you know." And and of course he was like, "Oh dear, oh dear." <laughs> um, and he said, "How are you going to pay for that?" And I was like, "By being a magician." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and he, I said, "There's a place called the Magic Castle somewhere." I was like, "If I can, I talk about this in the show." But he goes, "I said, if I can find it, I know it's in LA somewhere. If I can find it, maybe I can get get some work there, get my foot in the door." And um, and he pulled me out onto the street and he goes, he says, this is 1737 North Orange Drive. That building right there is the Magic Castle. And it was just this strange, bizarre, again, my life has been full of those moments of, of like, you taking the piss? You know, like when you just look at the sky and go, are you screwing with me? Like, this is so weird. Castle, I remember walked up to, uh, to find out how to join. I, the, Billy McComb was in the front. Uh, the front desk uh, chatting up the girls oh yeah there he is uncle billy and billy just is i said oh you're billy mccomb i read about i read all your articles in magigram and he was like oh dear boy just come on in let me show you around and he signed my my membership certificate so it was pretty amazing you know and that also of all the people to give you a tour of the castle on their first day billy mccomb that's pretty epic Can you imagine as like that was pretty that was like uh, stars in my eyes yeah billy working pro read all his books had all his books did all of his material <laughs> at the time, back in Yugoslavia when no one could see me. Um, and uh, yeah, no, that was amazing. I love Billy. I, I remember the first time I ever did the castle, they put me up in the Nirvana and I was in the Billy McComb suite and they put a giant picture of his face over the bed. And I was like, I guess that's a subtle uh, a suggestion not to have any hanky-panky in this room. <laughs> yeah, right. Just when you're thinking it, you're feeling it. And yet, no, 
No. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's he's actually uh, uh, the best contraception I think is Billy McCombs. <laughs> Fantastic. A new, term, a new contraception. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk because we're now we're now you're in Hollywood. Um, I have an early headshot. Um, let's see if I can do. I, I think do. this one needs an explanation. Um, Does it though? I think it's all there. <laughs> I, I don't think you need my. So my mate Chris Amoroso is an amazing photographer, and he he did a whole bunch of shots. This was um, early two thousands, and. I had these amazing, these like crazy ass boots. And then he came over to the house and that chair was in my living room, long story. Um, and uh, yeah, we were just going for a slightly more, you know, trendy, that believe it or not, that was actually hip at the, or maybe not, maybe it was never hip. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, I like that shot actually. It didn't get me any work, but it's a great shot. <laughs> well, I've noticed uh, you, you've done, uh, going through your IMDB is insanely impressive because there's just so many things you've done. I've done my best to try to categorize it into, I feel like you fall into certain categories. There's a, there's obviously Crossing Jordan when you were a series regular on a yeah. network show. That's a pretty big break. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I've also found you have, uh, there's monster slash villain. Yeah. That happens a bunch. There's a whole bunch, of, yeah, yeah. There's uh, that's I th almost, I think the devil. That, yeah, that's, a, that's um, a Jack in the Box commercial that I did that uh, was a lot of fun where, uh, yeah, I don't remember what happened on there. I only aired a couple of times for some reason. I did a whole bunch of commercials. I was doing a ton of commercials right before Crossing Jordan came along. And um, it was one of those moments where I had like five national commercials running. I was the cheese, I was a chef in this cheese spot. And I did like two of those and I forget what else. I was doing like characters at the time. And, um, I, discovered, I did these Discover Card commercials where we were, art, we were art critics. And so we got to do one with Ringo Starr and all these kind of like, this, this is great. Um, and then this, this recurring role came up for this series called Crossing Jordan. And uh, I told my agent, I'd started doing under fives, managed to get my foot in the door and I was doing these small roles. And I started doing a ton of guest star stuff. And I'd said to my agent, I only want to do recurring and series regulars. So you just got to keep pushing your career you can't stay where you are. You always have, and sometimes to to um, make that change, you have to be willing to take a loss, right? So I was like, we're turning down the smaller jobs. We're only so this came up for recurring. And did magic give you that confidence? Did you? Because I feel like it's one thing to say no to a role and no and have no fallback and nothing, but to you kind of no, always magic in your back pocket. No, I was doing a lot of commercials, so I felt like I was kind of in the wave of, there was a lot of character -y commercials that were being made back then in the mid nineties. And so I felt like late, mid to late nineties, but I was, I was okay. I had magic. So, I mean, I could, I was doing a lot of the Beverly Hills party circuit, close up stuff, big clients. And that was great. You know, um, it was good and it wasn't, didn't help me as an actor, which was the bit, which I discovered. But, um, but I remember thinking, all right, yeah, I'll go do, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll audition. And I got the part and, um, I remember it just got cut in the pilot. It just got cut down to like three lines. And I was like, oh, well, that's it. You know, and I, I remember thinking this character could be English. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't have to be American because it's set in Boston. A lot of Irish and British in Boston. And it would be really nice to play an English character on American TV that isn't a cliche, right? It isn't just kind of like, I say, it not there for the punchline, you know, like I say tea or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sweating a bit. And um, so it was it was, but then when they came back, uh, this is one of those one of those shudder moments. You know, I remember I was offered another episode, and 
for less money than the pilot. <laughs> and I just, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but looking back now, like I shudder to think what I was thinking. But I was like, no, I, I, I you know, a lot of it's about knowing your value or or perceived value um <laughs> just in yourself because so, i know that if, and since then every time i've accepted a job i've always been like i've accepted it now so whatever happens can't bitch about it right if you accept the job you've accepted the job right if you're going to do a, a gig for 200 bucks don't be bitching about it or treat it that you accepted the job so um so i was like no and then they my agent thought i was crazy and then they came back with more money and then i went and did it and then two or three episodes in, uh, it was clear that the character was working. And I remember having a conversation with my agent, like, I think this should be a series regular. You know, he's like in every episode. And then they called and offered me the series regular. And that that was an amazing, it was the best way to do it because you, it's very hard to get a job as a series regular in a show because you, what you normally test, you normally have to go into a room with 20 other actors, all going for the same role. You've already done your contracts. You've already, you can see the money you're going to make. You can see how it's going to change your life. Hello, Marcy. Marcy was there the whole time. Um, and uh, what did Marcy say? What did, what did Marcy you say? said, you're an awesome magician as well as an awesome actor. Love my years working as the receptionist on Crossing Jordan with you. You were always so nice and so kind to our background group. We all thought the world of you, Miss you, Marcy. Oh, thank you, Marcy. Yeah, we, 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 we were an awesome set. I mean, we were, everybody was tight. There wasn't... There wasn't that kind of like, uh, you know, them and us kind of attitude. And whenever we got a guest star on, we were always very welcoming and to the guests. It was just a really great atmosphere. And the, the creator of the show, Tim Kring, uh, who also did um, Heroes and a bunch of other stuff, you know, Tim, he's a lovely guy. And I think that trickles down from above. I and mean, when you have great people who are your bosses, I, I think that trickles down. You feel relaxed and you feel like a, there's a love to the set. Um, yeah. I forgot what I was saying before that, but. Oh no, one of the things, one of the, the trivia aspects of Crossing Jordan was that I believe they tried to build in a backstory that your character, Nigel, had a hobby in magic and you resisted. Uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, yeah. So, okay, so here's what happened, right? So I had uh, dinner with um, uh, Ray Stark, who was his movie producer. And Ray uh, said to me, I met him at the castle, and he's like, I want to talk to you about a movie. Because whenever I got introduced in the close-up room, I'd always be like, he's an actor, he's a da 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 da. So, I mean, I was trying to break in. I remember doing um, doing a gig for a really big uh, um, Hollywood director. It'll come to me in a minute, and and uh, and the gig went amazing. And I was at his house, and he called me back a second time. And then I'm oh, this is great. So I send him a basket saying thanks for the fruit basket, saying thanks for the work. And I put my my reel in the basket. <laughs> like, By the way, I'm also an actor, which I think could be the title of my biography. Um, and <laughs> actually that should, that should be the next show. But, um, so I send him this and I never heard from him ever again. <laughs> it was devastating. So anyway, it was a race dark invites me to his house for dinner to talk about a movie. And we go, I have to sit through this entire evening. There's all these other people there. We, we sit and we watch American pie. He gets a first run from the, it was very strange. He didn't quite understand the pie scene. Um, and we watch, and at the end, everyone goes home and it's just us and, uh, and uh, me, me and him and he hands me a script and it's Houdini and he's, and he's talking to Tom Cruise to play Houdini I believe and I'm like this is great I'm like what role can I play you know and he's like no no I want you to help me with the magic and I was like well that's great I'll do that for free I'll be a magic consultant for free but like there has to be something even if it's like five lines to help me get my foot in the door and he was like what are you a magician or an actor
going to make a choice. You know, he was really very definitive about that. And I saw, I could see the, this balance wasn't, it worked in England. You can act and you can do magic. You can do variety, a game show, and then do Shakespeare. It doesn't matter. But in America, it was very pigeonholy. So in the end, um, I, 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 I quit the magic. And when I quit the magic, that was it. I was never a magician. I was terrified because I, I, what I found was that when people saw me as a magician, they didn't think take me seriously as an actor. So I'm on set. And as far as I'm concerned, no one knows I do magic. And somebody, one of the producers came up to me and they were like, you did uh, Ari Bernstein's, uh, um, Ari Bernstein's uh, Christmas party like, uh, uh, like three years ago. And I was like, it wasn't me. Right? <laughs> no, 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 Steve Valentine. I said, no, it wasn't me. Comes in next day with my business card, <laughs> my name on it. Yeah, Steve Valentine, sparkling hocus pocus, little English flags in the corner. And I was like, no, wasn't me. That's this other guy, Steve Valentine. Looks like me, sounds like me, same name, not me. Don't do magic, right? And um, so then they write it into the show. They're like, this would be a great talent for for Nigel to have. And I did. I didn't want to do it. I, I, and I and I was so. And now looking back, you know, it's. You got to understand the scars that were there at the time. Now I don't care. Now I think over everything. Uh, but um, I, I was deliberately bad with the card trick, so that we didn't ever have to do it again. It was and that was part of a ten-year break, right? There was like a ten-year uh, sort of hiatus from magic, where it was only acting. Yeah, just acting, um, and and. I just started kind of picking it up as a hobby again, and I did a movie for uh, Disney. And when I was in New Zealand, called Avalon High, and that's the night for the stuff. And um, yeah, and I bumped into a guy from the South End Sorcerer Society, <laughs> and I was like, "I know you. I remember you from when I was a kid." He had no idea who I was. Anyway, so we meet and uh, we have dinner, and he has video of all the guys from. South End from when I was a kid, including Dick Turpin, who was my mentor. And it just kind of sent me back on this journey, like full on, like back. I'm like, oh, I can go back into magic now as I've been gone for so long. And it was crazy. I don't know if you find this, but the subconscious never stops, you know? And suddenly I'm back in, I'm like, what was my act? Oh, what was the problem with this thing? And suddenly I'm coming up with all these solutions and new, new material and just kind of, um, yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. But it's the but the acting, you know, you quit magic to do acting, and then the acting bring brought me back in many ways to, to it. So yeah, I, I mean I find it so fascinating because for for me, my split is between magic and one side and stand-up comedy. And for years I was terrified of any of the stand-up comedians finding out I did magic of any kind. So I kept them yeah. very separate. The worlds were uh, I, I did it was I, the joke that I make is it's like being a preschool teacher who also does burlesque. I didn't want any of my uh, the other teachers to find out I had pasties right. in bag in the closet. You know, and and I should, you should we should explain that it's not about hating magic. It's right. not about not loving magic. It's it's about having to pursue something, and sometimes you have to make that you have to make that Sophie's choice between what you you know where you're going to go because it's just you've got to work your way through the landscape. I, you doing comedy? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know, it, it, I equate it to if somebody says I'm a mime actor or I'm a plumber actor, you know, <laughs> it's, you don't, it, you know, do you think people take them seriously? Unfortunately, they don't in this business. So it's just about surviving. 
But recently, because as I was saying, there were some like archetypes. There was a, a bunch of villain monster roles. There's the vaguely evil, scary role. I was, uh, I was hosting a game show that I had to go at hosting a game show. That was uh, a state of panic. That was fun. We shot that, we shot that in, Uga in um, Argentina in 2008. And, um, and I remember it was, it was only, we only did one season and I, uh, on sci-fi, but there were so many near accidents <laughs> that I was like, I don't want to be hosting a show where someone's going to die. Right, and, even um, if it's in Argentina, where life evidently is cheap. Well, it was shot in Argentina, but they bought the competitors in from the States. So um, the idea is brilliant ideas. You have one set and then you sell the show to all these other countries and they can come shoot on that set too, right? So they, they do a lot of game shows that way. But there were just so many shortcuts at the time. And I remember saying to, I had a meeting with the head of sci-fi at one point and then he was like, so what do you think about another season? I'm like, well, if we can make it safer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. And I think that was the wrong thing to say. But I just didn't want to be that guy who's that someone, you know, it was very, very near the edge, that show. And you can see it if you if you watch it. It's uh, that said, I had a great time filming it. <laughs> and somebody actually wrote in Derek Jupiter was my favorite character when I was 13. I'm 24 now, and he's still my favorite rock star. I love you, Steve. I send you a hug from Argentina. Argentina! I love Full circle. I Buenos Aires. I, when I landed in, thank you very much for that, by the way. But when I, when I landed in Argentina, there was a, a protest going on in the streets. And so I was suddenly dropped just on a side street with my suitcases. And they were like, your hotel is three blocks that way on the other side of the procession, you know? And so now I'm like going in the atmosphere, the drums are going and the atmosphere, <laughs> and people are protesting the government and it's, and they're marching and there's banners. And I'm like, welcome to, welcome to Argentina. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me. And I'm like trying to like get through the, with these two suitcases. Uh, Buenos Aires, beautiful, love Argentina. I had a great time there. And we're, we're about to get into the surprise guests. Um, uh -oh. uh, there are more than one, that's the first surprise. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about is because you have played a magician in a lot of different shows. Um, yeah. There you, uh, this is on Just Shoot Me with Pamela Anderson. There yeah. is you being a magician with Monk. Yeah. Um, that's doing magic on a date. And then that was anger management, the Charlie scene show that that was, and what, what the hell is that? That is the great, uh, that is Beardini from oh, Beardini. Uh, the Disney yes. series. Even though uh, anybody could technically play a magician if they're animating them, uh, they chose an authentic magic voice. You know, this is what I mean about getting typecast with magic. Is that I used to get casting directors that would say to me, if a role comes up for a magician, we'll let you know. And I would be like, no, no, it's, I can do other parts. In animation, I, I get called all the time to do the voices for magicians. <laughs> I just, how's my sleight of hand? How is that? Do you know what's going right, on? Exactly. I mean, I'm happy for the work, don't get me wrong, but it's just, it's um, it's kind of funny how that works. That was a lot of fun, the great Biadini. And he looks like you a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. It's There's nothing exciting. like having your voice, having being the the animated voice to a character, the, the voice to an animated character. I, I love seeing that come to life. Now that I've got two little kids and they see it, uh, and I did I did a whole bunch of stuff for Mickey and the Roadster Racers as as the villain Commander Heist. It's, it's kind of it's a very kind of strange voice. And uh, the kids watch it all the time and they're laughing. Just, does that freak them out? Or are they like, why is dad coming? Why is why does Commander sound like my dad? My daughter gets it. My son, who's four, only recently kind of got it over quarantine, I think. He's just starting to understand. Oh, you're an actor. Okay, I get it now. You know, he's beginning <laughs> to understand. They're watching the Disney stuff now. So they're beginning to see 
uh, you know, my son's like, why are you always so mean to people? I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> as long as I'm not mean to you, son, you know, that's the- Wait till he starts playing video games. He's gonna have a lot to catch up on. Oh, I don't wanna, yes, that's, uh, I try and avoid that. I mean, I love video games, but he's four, right? So yeah. give him at least another six months. Uh, well, we're gonna try something. This is the first time we've ever tried this on Who Books That. We always have surprise guests. Uh, and usually uh, we, we kind of, I kind of like subtly lead the guests to talk about that person and then spring them upon them. But this time I'm gonna have you guess the guest. So okay. I'm gonna bring uh, him or her on screen right now, your first surprise guest. Uh, he or she is underneath that. Uh, that is that somebody in the kitchen? <laughs> Someone in the kitchen. Uh, Someone in the guest, if you can give us your first clue as to who you might be. Well, an absolute pleasure to see you again. I just. Hello. <laughs> I don't know if that gives you any kind of hint. No. Who is it? Take it. Who is it? I, I, I have such a bad signal here. Who, I, I take it. I've no idea. Give me another clue. Mystery guest, do you have a clue? Go to Oh, oh, there's a second reveal. Now you see a little bit more of the mystery guest. Does that uh, help you? Is, a hood. Oh, is that Billy? And I was just talking to Billy Kidd the other day about doing a blindfold thing. And she was talking about a hoodie blindfold. Is that Billy Kidd? Oh, that's a good clue. Um, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that is, I think you're going in the right direction. <laughs> I don't know who it is. All right, let's reveal it. Is it Billy Kidd? No, it's not. Who is it? Hi! Hi! Ages. Can't you remember we worked at Butlins? We oh. were back in uh, Bogner, Minehead. I started in Pathwelly in 1981. Scarborough. And was, were you at Scarborough? Yes. Oh! Grand Hotel Scarborough. Lindsay. I was I was in Scarborough for about four months. We really reached deep back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of legwork to find this person. Yes, starting magic, and uh, you, you, yeah. can, uh, can you remember? And they're just showing me some magic tricks, and they're just every night pulling me in, pulling me in. Well, you know, it's what we do as magicians. We pester the people who look vaguely interested until uh, until we alienate them. And then, uh, you know, and then we just move on to the next uh, victim. That's yeah, good. Guess, Where are you now? In the in the kitchen. Was there, is there anybody else in there? I, I saw some people in the, I saw a person walk by. Yeah, who was that who walked uh, by? Oh, that was George. The, 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 did you do you not remember George either? I don't, I don't. <laughs> but this that doesn't mean anything. The eighties were very good to me. This is the um, first time George was from Kettering. Right, okay. Your mum lives there. My mum is now in Norfolk. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. My mum is now in Norfolk. She's everywhere. She's eighty and uh, yeah, is there a mystery guest? Is there anybody else uh, in in that apartment that we could talk to as well? Only George at the moment. George is here, actually. All right, okay, Steve, I'll show you the first trick that you. I've been practicing this for so many years. This is the first trick that you ever showed me. Oh my! Are we gonna do it? Okay, uh, all right. 
with bicycle cards too. That was a, that's impressive. Oh, you little monkey! See now, that's. I quit. The whole time, I'm like, I don't know this person. Who is this? I know. You were very admirable, though. I got to say, you really faked it pretty well. It is clear that you are a professional actor. <laughs> Could you tell my eyes? I'm just like, I was about to, I was about to, <laughs> I was about to keyboard you like, freaky fan, I don't know who this is. <laughs> and, and George, that was great. First of all, Billy, it's good to see you're quarantining. That's fantastic. Good for you. And, uh, They're in my bubble. They're from the pub down the way where uh, um, everything happens. We rehearsed this. We had blocking. Oh my God. Who played the role of Lindsay? Lindsay. Oh, hi, Lindsay. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring her I'll bring her in. That was a beautiful performance. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was the um, the Butlins thing. It was like, oh, was it was it Scarborough? Was it Scarborough? <laughs> 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 But you were fooled, right? Do you know, yes, but do you know that happens? People come up to me all the time and they're like, oh, hi, remember me? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I don't. We met 13 years ago on a cruise ship. I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> I know. Thanks, but, Steve. Thanks. No, but really, I love your work. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I have a photograph. This looks tampered with, but I'm assured this is very real. Uh, oh, this yeah, photograph of you at the Magic Castle. Yeah, no, that's tampered with. That is... <laughs> Yeah. Real. Billy, no. can you tell us the uh, story behind this photo? I well, Billy, why don't you tell? I mean, that is the uh, is that a cardboard cutout, or you just started like putting my picture everywhere for fun? I forget what it was. No, that's a, that is a cardboard cutout. That was another time that I fooled you, if you remember, Mr. Valentine. <laughs> we so basically, um, in that photo is our rich friends Dino and Dan Goldberg, and yep. we were at the castle. He was not there. I wasn't and for some reason, by the way, the lighting, uh, the lighting person behind uh, Steve's One Man Show. Yes, yes. So Dan, um, Dan was my stage manager, and he did. Yeah, I would, couldn't have done the show without Dan. He was amazing. Yeah. So we had this idea of just uh, pretending. <laughs> I don't even know how this started. We're like, let's pretend there's a cardboard cutout of Steve in the lobby of the castle, the one place where you're allowed to take a photo, and so we just mimed it for. <laughs> who could get the height right, which was difficult, and then photoshopped that and sent it to Steve pretending that like, oh my gosh. I think I'm the new Flat Albert, you know, the flat character you just <laughs> take him everywhere you go in the world, where's Steve? That I should just sell those, you know. Little but you did believe that trick too for, for a while, didn't you? You were um, like, what? Why is there a cardboard cutout? I was like, I don't know. They just yeah, I, believe it, I believe there was a life-size cardboard cutout, only because I own a life, of course, I own a life-size cardboard. <laughs> cut out of my character Derek Jupiter who had you know the rock star who had a lot of them in his apartment and um so I managed to when we when the show closed I was like I'll take those thank you very much I'll give the audience a little taste of yeah <laughs> that's me. that knee slide is you've nothing makes you feel more like a rock star than you have to put on these knee pads these um rock rock hard knee pads but doing a rock slide with a mic just in the wind machine and the oh you just you feel like a rock star is the best feeling in the world 
And can you do the hair wave as well? <laughs> my, and I, I have a mate, Chuck Wright, um, who's who was in um, uh, was quite right, and he showed this move the mic stand where you you hold the mic stand, and you spin it like this, and the you and it spins in your hand. And it looks like a propeller. And you go like that, and that was that was my that was my to move for Derek was just spinning that microphone. And then I tried once the thing where it goes out and then you step on and it comes back, but that whacked me really hard in the nose and I never did that again. So I once chipped my tooth doing stand up, and I, I, I remember coming off stage and I said, are you okay? And I said, due to the dental work, I think I'm, that show cost me about uh, a few hundred dollars. Was it the thing where you try to pull the mic out and you go- Yeah, it's like, right in my face. Was it that? Was it that? Yep, chip this tooth right here. Yeah. Oh my um, God, there's nothing worse. I remember going on stage once and going, hello, and then this big green bit of phlegm came flying out of my mouth in the spotlight into the audience. And it was, uh, yeah, it was disgusting. <laughs> Hi, Susan, how are you? What? Did somebody Maybe? catch your big piece of phlegm? Yeah, they asked me to sign it and it was, it got weird. And Billy, I know you also do acting as well. Um, can Ooh. you tell us a little bit about your, because I think you guys have sort of opposite paths where, uh, you were shifting from magic to acting. You were going from acting to magic, um, and you guys sort of ran in in reverse course. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say do acting anymore. No, I've quit cold turkey. Going on <laughs> maybe tw almost twelve years now. Um, I won't even watch Hamilton. I made a vow. Uh, what? How can you not watch? Hi, Erica. Hi, Erica. You 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 have to watch Hamilton. Hamilton's amazing. I um, someone yesterday was telling me the same. I was like, I've made a promise. I'm, it's cool. You went the other way. You decided acting and magic, and then you went the magic route, right? And then I went uh, the acting route. But now, if I can do both, you can do both. It's nothing wrong with that. Mm. <laughs> She's like, don't bring it up. <laughs> well, has Eva influenced your work in any way? Has, has, has working with him and hanging out with him uh, had an effect on your show? Um, yes, I guess in a, in a storytelling kind of way, because there's few... There's few one-man shows slash magic shows. I mean, okay, here's here's the thing. When I saw Steve's one-man show, Life and Other Deceptions in LA, I thought I was seeing a magic show. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, oh my God, what is this? This isn't right. This is going against my promise of never seeing theater again. Oh, shit, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And then it got worse because then there was like a Q&A after, which I didn't know was happening, so I couldn't actually leave it. Um, <laughs> experience because I made that promise. But um, yeah, it, 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 I guess it has been influential uh, because there's few magic shows in general that I've seen where I can walk away and remember them for good reasons. <laughs> Very few. And I would probably like. say that his show is one of, one of like two or three that I've seen. So that's always a good thing. So you, uh, you became a, a, a recurrent screamer. Is that true? I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I, I think that's, I, that's uh, to the rat. The rat bit in your show. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> in my show, I see what you did there. What happened? Do you remember? I remember this. It was like slow motion. It was like a movie. You and Dan Goldberg were getting yeah. the show ready. I was in the audience trying not to touch any, touch another man's props. Right. To like, Never touch another man's props, yes. And Dan goes to you and he goes, he goes, who are we gonna get to do the scream in the show? 
and then you're like, I don't know. And then you both did, as if choreographed, you both <laughs> really turned your head to me like this. And I was like, oh my God, um, because screaming is not in my vocabulary, anything like, like, um, yeah, it's, you know, all I wanted, all, this is all I needed was for someone to stand up. Uh, how hard is this, Harrison? At one point, um, there's a rat that uh, apparently this rat has flown out of the cage. The cage vanishes. The rat's in the audience somewhere. Don't worry. He's super friendly. Suddenly, somebody's supposed to just jump up and start screaming, and it leads into another bit. And then we go, and scene. Thank you. Wonderful performance. See you at the after party. That's the bit, right? Uh, now, Dan couldn't do it. Dan's from Canada. He's so nice. He can't scream. He, <laughs> he's like, ah. I'm like, Dan, that's... So I thought, Billy, you could do it. No. <laughs> I did it, but you didn't I know. remember it. That so, I don't, that, that's just not, it's just not in, there's no reason to scream ever in life. I got you to perform uh, in, a, in a theater play. There you go, so. Yes, you did. All right, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Well, I'm, still I'm still coming down from the um, from the uh, uh, interview with the person I didn't know. But <laughs> well, we actually have a couple more surprise guests. Oh, great! Do I know these people too? I, I think you do. I hope you do, uh, Billy. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I love your magic. I love you. You're so great. And uh, thank you for staying up late for us. And you're coming to us from London. What time is it there? I'm just waking up. I got my beer. I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, thank you Don't so worry. much. And uh, hopefully, I get to see you again soon. Mwah. See ya. Bye. 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 Everybody. Uh, by the way, Steve, uh, we, we yes. have touched upon this, uh, and people have been asking tons of questions about this. Erica okay. Larson called you a silver fox. I well, agree with you, that. I, you know, I've got my COVID no die thing going on right now, right? So I didn't do the hair. It's funny when you put that photograph of me from the show up, and I'm all dark with the beard and everything. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a bit of a contrast, you know? Um, yeah. No, I just decided to go uh, see what see what it looks like. I thought I might be a little gray. And then we had an accident at the barbers last week where just the guy just went right in with the thing. So it's, so I'm like, all right, well, I've always wanted to do the, you know, the little bit on top with the short back and sides. And apparently I'm really silver. So there you go. <laughs> no, it looks good. It's a new uh, There have been people who have been asking questions the entire, uh, this entire show about your one man show, Life uh, and Other Deceptions. Yeah. Uh, a fantastic show. Um, let me, I have the poster art, which is really great. Um, let me pull that up somewhere and get buried in here but uh you yeah didn't work on this in a vacuum there were uh somebody directed it uh somebody so we had uh, like chris philpot and uh was integral to the show and um incredibly creative writer and creator yeah that's that's the artwork there and um chipper lowell uh directed uh, i'd sent the script to chipper for some notes and and he was just he offered to direct it and i was i never even thought that would be amazing and you know, Chipper's experience in doing, I'd never done anything like this before. Like doing a one man show, you, you that's talk about diving in with, without thinking. I mean, honestly, it's, you write it. I wrote the script, which was like three hours long and then we had to put it on its feet. So we had to cut and edit and then I had to learn it. And when you write stuff for yourself, the hardest thing is finding your voice. You know, it's uh, especially in a way where you have to talk to the audience and tell them a story without it all being like me, 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 which is which is what a one man show is. It's like the last refuge of the narcissistic actor. Right. <laughs> it's just all about me. And it is. And that's the nature of it. And and I watched a ton of one man shows and live performances. And uh, and Chipper was just able to cut through to the bone directing. And we, we were directing late at night because we could only get the theater super late. Uh, I said to. 
my friend E.G. Daly, who's an amazing voiceover artist and actress, and I, I told her I was doing this. She said, oh, I did a one-woman show. And I said, why don't you still do it? You know, and she just kind of looked at me and said, that was a lot. That's a lot of work. Lot. <laughs> well, I heard you It's you would spend about eight to 10 hours for every two-hour show between the setup, the the breakdown, because you, oh. you have to essentially load in and load out every performance. We had to. It was a two-hour setup for the show because uh, I had I packed it full of magic as well as the I just the first twenty minutes of the thirty minutes of the show was just I, I wanted to come out and just hit it hard doing magic and then there's a left turn that happens in the show and we move into narrative uh, that's my dancing nipple trick which um, uh, uh, great <laughs> <Elizabeth>. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a way of doing um, matrix with your nipples, and of course, and <laughs> of course, the yeah, great Mike Elizalde at Spectral Motion made me the made me the chest. It was really it's really funny, but um, but it we had to load out every night because the theater was in use every day, and I so you can imagine not only did we load in set two hours to set up the show. Sometimes we had two shows in a day, and then at midnight I'd be tidying up the stage, which was a complete mess by the end of the show, pack it all the way into the back of the truck, and then the same the next day. It was exhausting, absolutely exhausting. Um, and it was me and Dan uh, most of the time. That was and I believe cool. early on, the first person in was uh, Chris Philpott, right, on the script? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris was the one who convinced me to do it. Well, See, let's double check with him. There's Chris Philpott. Yeah, I have his uh, oh, original, original draft. <laughs> Hello, hello. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? How are the neighbors? <laughs> we have the neighbors from hell. Uh, but that's okay. By the way, my green version of the show, Chris then goes off camera and Billy Kid comes back into frame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris wrote a, a treatment for a one man show for me. And, and it was just, it was brilliant. And then it just inspired me. And I, I have a tendency to go off and my own directions. Um, if anyone is lucky enough to work with this man, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you'd be very lucky. He's a brilliant writer. And um, I, there would be no one man show without him. There'd be no show at all. Well, thank also a huge thank you to Chris because uh, the articles he wrote about you in both Magic and Genie were uh, invaluable to doing the research. Um, <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Chris would uh, ask me all kinds of questions. And because we're friends, I would answer honestly. And then it all ended up in the article. <laughs> So well, we were working on uh, 40 Elephants at the time. This, yeah. you know, this uh, pilot we were writing and a series we were writing. And uh, you got some funding for the show. And I always tell magicians when I'm working with them, what do you do better than any other magician in the world? And I said, Steve, you're a freaking amazing actor. You know, you, you, you can act better than any magician out there. And you can... You can you should do some acting in the show. And not only that, I've seen some really boring shows with magicians just talking about themselves. But yeah. your life is actually really interesting. And I, I was like pushing you in that direction. And that was like I, I feel like, like I feel I resisted it so writing much. is you know, Steve's a fantastic writer. Steve's a fantastic writer. He just needs to, you know, hear some things that he uh, you know, he knows intuitively, but I was just kind of like trying to encourage him. Yeah, I, yeah. 
it was it, it's so true and and uh yeah chris was just like you could do this and you could do this you could start like this you could have this scene where this happens you could do you know and then it could all come back to this and then you said you do the structure of uh, a movie structure so that you have your opening you have your you know and then and then there's a twist there's a turn and then you go off on the journey and then there's the, all these lost moments. I like structure <laughs> you love structure and um and then and then at the end you bring it around and you have an emotional thing and then you come in and you and you do the big finale um, and we should mention, yeah. by the way, the other so so the other reason we had the show, and the main reason we had the show was I was very I went on Kickstarter because I knew if we were going to do it, then there's no way that I yeah, could yeah. run it. And we got an amazing response, and we were able to raise the money to do the show. It wasn't easy because a live show, you you um, you don't have a really a product to give people, so there's right. only so many things you can do: postcards, videos. Um, and and but people were just so willing to give and donate and and uh, mm. uh, and this just an experiment in live theater um, and tickets of course to the show that uh, we could not have done it without them and um, yeah absolutely I, I remember saying to Chris if we get the money we'll do the show and then <laughs> and then we got the money and I was like shit now I'm gonna do the show <laughs> yeah I heard you found out that Kickstarter doesn't give you the money unless you reach the full goal uh until oh, wow. after you had started the Kickstarter no actually I knew that oh, okay I, that was my excuse to not do it see this is self-sabotage right 101 <laughs> so I thought okay if I yeah. if I do it so that I have to reach this goal I probably won't reach that goal and then um and then I'm gonna have to do it <laughs> but if I did the other one go fund me you you get to keep whatever you whatever you raise, which doesn't make any, a lot of sense really, because if you've kind of thought that it's going to cost you this much to do the show, but you raise a third of it, then you, the people who are donating are like they're not really a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kickstarter is, is a lot of work in and of itself because um, not to plug a different one man show. What's that? You said it's his own thing in and of itself, and I said not to plug a different one. Man. No. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was a that was a great show too. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, but it was I had a front row seat for the whole development of this because we were working on Forty Elephants at the time. Yeah, and yeah. Steve's Forty Steve's, Elephants was uh, who were, who were they or what 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 was the Forty Elephants? You want to you want to say what that was? Uh, Steve, do you want to? <laughs> All right, so we did. We had an idea for a series, and we pitched it to Lionsgate, and they bought it, and we sold it to TNT, and we were writing the pilot script at the time, and it was it's about a gang, a British gang that actually existed, and and in like, like for about two hundred and fifty years altogether in London, who were all women, yeah. and it just seemed like the perfect uh, time to do a show like that. Um, we Would had you have been the lead. I have a picture of you. Potentially, that would work. I think you could. That's be the reason the show didn't continue right there was because I'm. I can do it. I can play. Um, you, they could CGI you into. You could be all of the forty. Oh, the sizzle reel was great. So this is. You were there for that, weren't you, Chris? Uh, for this, um, I was. I, yeah, yeah, with the girls. That's uh, hot in Cleveland, and you recognize the actress on yeah. there, right? Uh, there are two actresses in this photo. Actually, you need to be more specific. <laughs> you recognize the blonde, <laughs> the natural blonde. Uh, anyway, By the way, speaking really of natural blondes, uh, I do want to bring in one more surprise guest because there is more surprises. Uh, oh you God. alluded to him before. He's also part of the team that made Life and Other Deceptions happen. It's Chipper Lowell, everybody. Chipper! He's going to come in, I swear. There he is. <laughs> Chipper! Hey! Hey, Chipper! Hey, Chipper! 
How are you guys? Like, this is your life. Uh, the uh, you know, for someone who made yeah. it in the middle. Did did you um? By, the, you... by the way, the Billy the kid, Billy kid uh, thing. Watching you sweat. Oh my god. Oh, it was so, so damn funny. funny. <laughs> so damn funny. I do you know? I just didn't know what to do. I was like, this is. <laughs> This is the, I have a couple well, of you know, online. But, but we, we've all had that, you know, where you do a show and then you do meet and greet afterward, and someone yeah. comes up and goes, "Hey, we're back." Yeah, yeah. Remember us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you. What's you my know, name? Know. What's my name? Just tell me my name. You know my name. And oh if somebody ever does that to me, uh, and they said, "I think you screwed up," I would respond, "I don't screw up." Oh, you had that set ready to go. That's very good. That's very oh, good. I do. I have. If you ever, if, I have a couple of them. If anybody, if it gets too loud, I have this ready to go. Silence. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's another one of those commercials. I love sandwich. Jesus. I, <laughs> oh, I used to get when I used to go to these Playboy Mansion parties. Long story. Just drop that name. But I used to go to, and <laughs> literally, girls would come up to me and go silence and walk away it was the strangest thing it's not what you want to hear from a playmate but there you go um chipper do you remember when we were doing the show and we could only get the theater at 11 30 at night and you would drive down and we would rehearse yeah we, we would uh, yeah they would they would finish something up at, at 11 or sometimes right up to 11 30 we would we would uh haul everything in 11 30 and then work till about five six seven in the morning yeah it was crazy and thankfully, my wife, who's in show business, thank God, never once questioned. You know, you she just went, "Yeah, that's normal." You know, <laughs> you're getting yeah. in at seven in the morning. I, 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 I gotta go off. I, you're both yeah, I gotta go off. Like that's magic litter. Let Steve's aftershave. I can smell on on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, do you know? I, I don't talk about this much, but the night before we opened. Everything broke. Yeah. Do you remember? It was like the sound system yes, didn't work yes. because the, yeah, everything. everything everything broke. The sound system didn't work in the theater for some reason. We had to go get a new microphone kit, find a new microphone and everything. I had props. See, I wanted to do all this vintage magic and found all this vintage magic. And the problem with vintage magic is it's old, right? And so it broke. I was doing the um, a Tommy Wonder effect and I think it was like three in the morning and I remember the gimmick snapped and a piece shot in the air and landed on the floorboards and went between the boards of the step. No. And, get to it. and you know, talk about and yeah. Chipper was like, maybe we shouldn't open. Like it was like five in the morning. <laughs> and we were opening that night. And you remember you were like, I don't know. Maybe we should wait. And you can I'm like, no, I'll replace the trick. We've got to do it. We've got to open. Because we could not yeah. get a full run through without well, something breaking. But also ironically, you talk about yeah, there are signs. You have to recognize the signs uh, in your life. No, yeah, but sometimes you have to look at the signs and you have to go like that. And you just have to go, hey, this is fine for me. Right? Every sign was saying, don't do it. <laughs> every sign, every sign. It was the, it was the, uh, it was the, well, the Amateurville horror of one man showed where the theater was saying, get out. Yeah, yeah but here's, here's the deal. Um, you know, uh, Billy touched upon it. I had been asked over the years if I would direct or be part of other people's one-man shows, you know, to either direct it or to pr produce it or things like that. 
And I was always very, very polite saying, oh, I'm really busy. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really busy. And well, you are really the thing busy. Is with, yeah. 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 And the thing is with this one, uh, the, the script that uh, Chris and Steve had put together was great. Steve, Not Steve. only that, but same thing. Uh, Steve can, uh, uh, Steve can act. And, and I just did not want to deal with anything where it's a magician trying to, trying to act. It's a magician. It's the same comedians. They want to do a one man show. So they take their 45 minutes of material, spread it out over two hours. And it's, of course, it looks like you've spread two hours, you know, spread My material show over two hours. Minutes, Chipper. It's only 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I was agreeing how much has happened is a roller coaster ride of emotion. <laughs> but it is, it's that thing. 99% of them are, are just like you want to shoot yourself in the head. And uh, here's the other thing when you're directing Steve, I can actually say, Steve, actually take it down and we kind of want it like this. And I'm, and I'm talking shorthand. And immediately Steve goes, got it. Next time he's doing it, it's exactly what Steve, he wanted to get. It's is, not me having to explain to someone. Oh, thanks, guys. But then as soon as you left the theater, I went back to my old way of doing it, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah. happened. <laughs> no. But here's the, here's the well, other I mean, thing. I mean, writing with Steve, being, you know, co-writing on the, 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 the show, we, um, you know, he's like an idea fountain. You know, he's like, boom, 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 we could do this, we could do with this. And it's just like so many ideas. And I'm a little, I'm a little slower, you know, and I'm trying to think it through. And I'm like, uh, you know, and sometimes I think I actually told you, could you stop talking for just one minute? Many times. Because <laughs> you would have so many ideas. But if you, you know, they're often brilliant. Sometimes they were just okay. But if you told him, he was ne ego never got in the way, you know, which never. is so rare in the creative yeah. arts. He's just... You know, yeah, it's I just like the greatest collaboration. I believe in collaboration. I believe in you can't do it all. Yeah. And other people often have see you not the way you see them, not the way you see yourself, yeah. but you need. And I think this is what's missing in magic, um, period. When you put an act together, yeah. you need a director. You need someone in the audience who can tell you oh, what we're Right. Yeah. And when Chipper and I were working on stuff as well, and and it was like two o'clock in the morning, and we'd be like, the transition doesn't work, or maybe we need to stage it where you're up here, and this is coming this way. Um, uh, you, you just have to. Uh, maybe that's that's what just comes from being an actor for so long in TV, because in TV you have to move. You don't have time to argue with the director. The director comes in <laughs> and says, "You can do this." And you can do one or two things. Yeah. You can ignore him, in which case news travels and you're not going to get as much work. Yeah. Or you can be flexible and go with it. And if it doesn't work, usually the director will go, well, you know, let's try something else. And then you can do it the way you, you want to do it. Yeah. But thanks, guys. One, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I loved was that, uh, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's been, what, two years now since three? I don't know. Six, two thousand. I think 16. It might be almost four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but and then with with yeah with other uh, 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 putting it up. Um, but one of the coolest things was be able to. He's telling stories, and I would just go, "This isn't working," because you're an actor 
why don't you be this guy? Remember? Yes. Or the the, mm. the con man throwing the cigarettes so it was over the building. Show don't tell, right? It, we there was a lot of yeah. show don't, which is in writing as well. You know, in writing, you you want to show, yeah. you don't yeah. want to keep telling. And that was the thing I'd written it with a lot of like, and then this happened and this happened, and then Chipper would say, "Well, can't and you?" I was like, "No, no, no, be the that. guy." Yeah, <laughs> be the guy. I would yeah. never say that to any other magician. <laughs> but you know, but for an actor, oh my God! I mean, we created the character, the, the guy from Yugoslavia, Andro, who was my kind of the bartender who got me into so much trouble over the two years I was in Yugoslavia. Like we created him because I would talk about him, but it's like, well, let's see him, let's meet him, you know, and uh, that became a lot of fun to kind of produce that person. You're singing with the landlord. You're singing oh, with the landlord. Was all acted. Told it here, but, but it was totally acted out. It was great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Norris, with the, the Norris with the cigarette, and, the, and right. yeah. it's interesting, you know, when you get in front of an audience, you 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 don't know what's going to work. The the I think one of the biggest laughs in the show was I did we I don't think we knew this was going to happen, but there's a moment when it's a very serious moment, and I'm telling them about the worst gig, one of the worst, one of the main reasons I quit Magic. Also, was I was getting more and more. I was doing gigs for celebrities, and you don't. When you want to be an actor, you don't want to right. do celebrity gigs. You want to be the celebrity. And I did a, I did a birthday party for a famous celebrity, and the audience, the entire audience were all A-listers, studio execs. And they, I was excited to do the show, and they ignored me the entire show. It was like I wasn't there. Uh, he wasn't there, though. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was this show or not, but I was like, maybe it is. <laughs> no, that wasn't the show. That's just... Uh, that's that's a long story um but no and, and there's a line in the show where i just say do you know i look at what we discovered was if when you talk about yourself it's very self-centered but when you ask the audience if they've ever felt that way you open the door for pathos and empathy and so i would mm. say to the audience have you ever have you ever been ignored and i could see everyone in the audience nodding their heads everyone has been ignored at some point in their life and it, there was just this moment but then I, I don't do, I can't remember if this was written or if this happened organically. But I was like, instead of you ever been ignored, hello, <laughs> you know. And it was this moment where, yeah, did it happen organically? I forget. Yeah, we no, we changed it. We we because the again, it was one of those ideas of can the audience be this audience at this particular uh, right? You know, party. The audience yeah, play. We're. we're so during the thing, there's times when the audience realizes, oh, they're playing the role of this particular, and they're you know, doing whether exactly it's the castle audience. I'm complaining. Yeah. So it ended up yeah. being the biggest laugh in the show because I'm like, hello, you know, like, you're not responding, you're ignoring me. It was a big laugh, but when that scene finishes, um, I've I've seen several times where you got standing ovations in the middle of the show. From the because it was so strong. The cards, the angry cards, Dad. After yeah. you do the yeah, yeah, yep. that was such an oh, honest, beautifully. Emotion. The, for the for yeah, the viewers, beautifully just the, right thank out. you. The idea was to talk about the worst gig ever, and how you feel as an artist on stage when the audience is mistreating you and it's loud and it's noisy and no one's paying attention and you're just like, what's the point? You know, we've all been there. We've all, what's the point? And I'm in the middle of a card stab yeah. and I'm blindfolded and I can hear everybody. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking these things that apparently I find out I'm saying out loud. 
about like you know like you know is this, is this never going to be enough what's the point and then it's at the end of it at the end of this monologue it's just like as you stab the knives down it's just like what's the point and it's so and I remember the first night I did it like I didn't know because the show makes a left turn people aren't expecting it you know there's real right. emotion it was as uh, it should be as it should be yeah yeah it was it was really yeah. fun to do really fun yeah, to off and see people's faces it, the beauty of the show is that it's not a show where an audience is watching it passively. So I, you know, I would watch it from the back and during those moments, you saw them leaning in, you saw them, you know, reacting. I mean, really you, you could, you could see the show working. It wasn't a, you know, Oh, we're all watching television. Um, but again, yeah. this is, this is a show that happens to have magic in it. You could take the magic out of it and still the story is told fully. And that was the key to me wanting to be part of this. I didn't want it to be a, let's find a ridiculous reason to get to the next trick. Right. You know, which is every mm. one man show that is trying to be theatrical versus a magic show. You know, there's great magic shows. There's great solo magic shows. Um, but this was not supposed to be a magic show. This is supposed to be an actual play, uh, an actual one man, you know, uh, you know, it's yeah. Uh, uh, really working honest. with Steve was just was what? I said a brutally honest journey, and then I was, <laughs> working it, with Steve was just, and it was. So yeah. <laughs> it had to be, yeah, it 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 had to be, and you know, and I warned Steve. I said, you know, just so you know, I'm really brutally honest, not in a mean way. I'm just, I just get really honest with what works, what doesn't work. There's no emotion behind it. If something doesn't work, what can we replace it with? Is it still not working? Does it need to be in there? You know, it's almost like every single piece within the play almost has to audition to continue to be in the play. Yeah. You know, but I because also think that it, I really, learned, I really learned from you the uh, stock line rule. Like there were so many times, I was like, but it's a funny line. And you'd be like, Everyone does it. And I'm like, but I've changed it a little bit. And you'd be like, no, find something better. I believe every time you tried to use a stock line, Tipper's reaction was, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it worked, you know, it works. It's like getting rid of your favorite routines. You, 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 you find either, you, you find something yeah. to fill it. And that's the oh, I, I strongly encourage that. My lecture URL terrible is all about throwing all of those lines out and, uh, I recently said in an online version, yeah. this is a really good time to go through your script and just chuck every stock line and rewrite it because you have some time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shout out, by the way, to the great Peter Samuelson, who said this is a great insight to the process behind creating such an amazing show. Hi, and Peter. Peter knows awesome drama, so thank you, Peter. I appreciate that. Uh, and so there's a question, uh, and I think a lot of people are, are, people are asking about rebooting the show and being able to see the show. Uh, and Todd Gerard said, what was the most valuable thing you learned from your one-man show? Um, as we get into uh, stoppage time, if you want to send your questions in, um, we're about to go into the final piece of the show where you get to ask uh, as many questions as we can in, okay. a, in a short period of time. Um, right. But while we still have Chris and Chipper, uh, let's start with uh, Chipper. Uh, what was the most valuable thing you learned from uh, this one-man show experience? And then we'll go to Chris and then to Steve. Uh, 
Well, I mean, to me, anything involved in something like this is learning. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. I think it's the reason why Steve likes to take these types of projects on. It's for the same reason I like to take these types of projects on. And I think Chris probably feels exactly the same way. The process itself is the key, is the thing to experience, to go from point A to point B, to C, D, all the way through. Um, I won't take that journey with people I don't trust. And that's what was completely different from any other thing where I said, yeah, this is this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And even if it's not great, the 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 journey itself will be great, you know. Yeah. But I knew I knew already it was no brainer. I don't have to teach Steve how to act. I don't have to teach Steve on, and, 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 and Chris like, you know, write a good script you know it's so as it went along it was it was a wonderful collaborative uh affair all the way through it yeah, yeah i don't think you can miss with uh the great beardini i think that's uh it's an ace up your sleeve right there uh what did I you, you are the great beardini now my friend <laughs> okay there we go <laughs> coming in uh, chris what we, was had, we had a script oh sorry we, oh i was just gonna say but but you know the other thing too I, I, is I, I, we I, had a so huge that we were constantly editing, 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 editing it just to get down to where it was at. And even then, it's a long show, but we were like, okay, we're right at the breaking point. At least if we can keep it within an hour, first half, hour, second half. It was about two and a half hours in the end, wasn't it? And we had, I remember a friend of my wife's came who's a director and he was just like, this is going to be awful. You, you know, he was rolling his eyes. There's no way this is going to work. And um, after the show, he was like, I didn't believe you could pull it off. You pulled it off. And that was like one of the biggest compliments, you know, because he just expected it not to work. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, do you have a quick lesson that you can share with everybody on, on what you picked up from this process? I'm sure there's a lot of lessons, but. Um, oh, yeah, of course, there's a lot of lessons. I mean, the, um, I think, it, you know, I'm going to echo what Chipper said, you know, choose your collaborators really well. Um, Steve and I, how long was it? We said, I want to write with you. You know, we want to do a, we wanted to collaborate on a screenplay and we were throwing ideas around sometimes 10 a night saying we could do a show about this. We could do a show about this and yeah. back and forth. All we knew was we wanted to work together. Yes. We didn't have an idea. It wasn't about the idea. It was just about, we knew we would work well together. Just yeah, we, we met. At a, we met. And at a finally, meeting. we. Uh, right. was... Sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I said we met at the elders, and we found no, out no, we no, go ahead. a ton of serious, yes. a ton of similar projects, and that was kind of how it all began. Yes. Yeah, I was hired to write uh, the, the John Mulholland magician at the CIA project. And you were working on a similer project at the same time. And yeah. we both just released book yeah. tests. And yeah. I'd written a pilot yeah. about magic. And I'm going, who are the magician actors out there? Steve Valentine. Oh, it'd be nice to meet him. And then I see you at this, this, this meeting. I'm going, I want to meet him before the end of the thing. And we just hit it off like that. Yeah. Anyway, let's go for lunch. Yeah. Let's try, you know. Great. And sometimes you just meet someone and you don't. You just have to pursue that that uh, friendship and that collaboration, even though you have no idea where it's going to go. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Chipper okay. and Chris, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow Chipper on Twitter and Instagram at Chipper Lowell. Uh, Chris Philpot has a ton of great magic products in the market, including uh, 100th Monkey. I actually will tell you, I They're spent great. $75 on Pantheon, uh, a great book about uh, application of the 100th Monkey Bridge. Thank you. Only to find out that I was in the book. <laughs> Class. I, I gave you a shout out, Jack. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was well worth it. Um, Brilliant. Uh, but thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Yes, you guys. You know, I, I did not put your routine in. I told everyone to look it up. Thank you. No, I appreciate <laughs> it very, very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you it's so much. so great to see you, Steve. We're going to chat. We'll Love chat. Bye. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. All right, we are almost done. Uh, make sure you follow Steve Valentine, at Steve Valentine. Um, we have time for very rapid fire questions, uh, maybe only two or three minutes. Um, so uh, these are gonna be quick answers to quick questions. Uh, Steve Valentine from Peter Samuelson, how long was the development process? Uh, it wasn't, uh, the development process was, uh, I, it took me about three months to, to write the show. And then um, it, we only had about six weeks to put it on its feet. That was it. So it wasn't long. It wasn't long. It was really, really intense. Perfect. Uh, Gerard asks, are you thinking about getting back into the performance scene? Uh, are you going first or going to see what happens? This actually, a bunch of people have asked this question, which is, when are you going to be uh, performing again? And uh, what, yeah. uh, do you have any plans uh, for that? I mean, I got a chance to tour with the Illusionists over the Christmas holidays, and that was amazing to, to get on stage in front of 5,000 people. And the plan is to bring um, a version of Life and Other Deceptions to the theater whenever theater decides to come back to life. Um, I was kind of working on that before before the quarantine. So I do definitely do want to bring that show back. It's, it's, tr it's tricky just kind of timing it with, um, uh, I, with the the writing stuff that I'm doing, and then Magic on the Go, which is my my online school of magic, and then thank you, Erica. She loved the show. Thank you, Erica. Love you. Um, and um, you know, so I've got Magic on the Go, and I've got the acting. So sometimes it's tough to kind of like lock that portion of time away. But I'm always performing or writing or getting to to work on the on the project. So my my goal is definitely to bring that to to a theater. And let's talk briefly about Magic on the Go, because that is an incredible deal. That's been running for three years now? Yes, we started it in 2017. It's I think we've got over 500 videos on there now. And the goal is to create, a, a, like, a. I, I really want to create the largest database of Magic Online. That's my goal. The idea is so no matter where you are, you can look up a product or a type of trick, and you can pull it up and learn it. So it works on the phone, on the iPad. Um, as a subscription service, we've got 500, over 500 videos, and it's it's a way of, uh, and, I, and it's all me. It's to me, it's two things. One is, uh, mentors mentors are so important in magic um, that when you learn one on one with someone, it meant so much to me when I was younger. Uh, so I, I film these these videos like I'm talking to you. So it's just like we're learning together. So that's why I do all the videos. I had a couple of guests come on and do stuff, but. I've done all the videos, and um, and so the idea is that, that, that the proliferation of one-trick DVDs is, has been so huge that we're losing the secrets of magic, right? We They're in the books, they're in the pamphlets that were published long, long ago. And so for me, I wanna keep these secrets alive. So what I've been doing, and this all started during the card to pocket thing, C2P, is I'll find something, and I'm like, this is a great trick, this is a great principle, like we, I can't put it out on a DVD. That's not, you know, what do you do with it? So 
the subscription service enables me to upload stuff whenever I want and to work on routines and do deep dives into topics like diminishing cards or cards across. Or um, right now I'm doing one on suspensions, you know, like uh, the, the jar of rice on the, sword, on the sword or things sticking to the hands. And because I think those are really powerful effects and just kind of elaborate on things in a way that uh, you can't do in any other format. So that's kind of the idea of it. No, it's amazing. And uh, one more time, it's magiconthego.com. That's yes. great to remember. There, you can subscribe by month. You subscri subscribe by year. Uh, yeah. And P2P, which I think is $200, is available all on Magic on the Go. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, seven DVDs, 22 hours worth. 90% of that is on there already, as is Cloth. Booked will be on there soon, three. And then all the other stuff that I've, that I've, uh, that I've filmed as well. So it's, yeah. It's not a bad deal. I think it was a, it, the whole point is is to make the magic available to people who want to learn, and and there's also history and a, and a nods to the the names of the past. These these shoulders that we that we are giants that we stand on as magicians. We shouldn't forget who they are, and uh, just keep the just keep that that magic alive. And so it's not expensive. You know, I priced it so that uh, you can. It's like ten bucks a month, but you you can. Um, learn so much but also just kind of so even if it's stuff you're not going to do you kind of soak in the methods and then something will come back out that you can use later down the road well i love that in doing a lot of the research uh one of the things one of the trends that keeps kept coming up is your incredible knowledge of old school magic old school magic books and magazines um and you had a quote about uh sometimes if you can't move forward you have to look backwards when it, when it comes to coming up with new magic sometimes the really old gems are things that are have been forgotten, but are still really, really good tricks that can be uh, done in the in the present. And you can adapt it, just a slight adaptation, and you've got something new, you know. And and the problem with doing a lot of research is often you'll come up with an idea, and then you discover somebody, uh, somebody printed it in the magic wand in 1923. <laughs> you know, now I've got to give credit to this person, <laughs> but you know they did. Like someone like Fred Culpit, who was known as a comedy magician who created the Doll's House illusion had so many original ideas and doesn't get the credit for them. Um, Edward Victor, another guy from, from England who was a manipulator, just way ahead of his time, you know? I saw there's a move that I got from the Magic Wand, a card to pocket move, that was is just so brilliant, way of showing your hand empty before you pull the card out of the pocket. And, uh, and, I, and, some, and there was a young guy who published it, uh, clearly came up with it, slightly different, but came up with it independently. Um, on uh, sold the video, you know, and I was like, that's in like in the old magic wand. Right. <laughs> Just these things are around. And listen, these guys from back in the day, they were doing, when they were working, they were doing eight shows a day in vaudeville, an old time music call. They would do tricks that worked. They, this was, uh, they would do magic for audiences that were incredibly sophisticated in their knowledge of variety acts. So if it didn't work, the audience would let the performer know. So these, these are, these are, magicians of the past are really worth studying what they did and how they did it. Well, I, this, this has been uh, incredible. Uh, there are people literally from all over the world watching in who have been thanking you for taking part in this. Oh, it's my um, pleasure. The last question I always ask every guest is, because okay. there are young performers and young entertainers who are watching this, what advice would you give to them as they consider their career in magic, uh, acting or entertainment? Uh, don't give up because uh, I saw, I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but you know what? Sometimes uh, the best things in life are cheesy. I think um, one of the things I saw in LA, it took me three years to get my first line in a show, which was Married with Children. I had like one line. And 
I and think then, you were immediately murdered after that line too, right? I got hit by a car. <laughs> I, yeah, I say, I say, Meryl Street naked, no bloody way. And then I get hit by a car. And, um, Welcome to uh, show business. Yeah, right. That was it. That was the end of my career. But I, it took three years, right? And less than I was doing classes and all this other stuff. And I meet people over the course of the time that I lived in LA who, oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm in top of my drama class. And so I'm going to go to LA and become a star. And then they give it a year. You can't give it a year. You, you have to give it till it happens. You, you just can't give it a year. And, and, and so that's what I mean by you have to have a quiet belief that this is right for you and who you are and what, and that this is what you're meant to do. doesn't mean that at some point you don't look in the mirror and go, you know what? Well, maybe this isn't right for me. You'll know it, you'll feel it inside, but you have to give it time because the people that you meet along the way you, you may bump into those people 10 years from now and that, that person's going to be integral. I would say get the Michael Caine biography, autobiography, it's called From Elephant to Hollywood, From the Elephant to Hollywood, and get the audio book because the way he reads it is just beautiful. <laughs> it's like he's talking to you. His whole book is about, I met this guy when I was doing, I was going to do Oliver, in London, everyone else, you know, Sean Connery got James Bond, Terence Stamper become a big star. They were all roommates. He's like, I wasn't gonna make it. And I met this guy then, and I met this guy. And then 20 years from there, I meet him again. He's like, you wanna play this part? You know, and you look at his life and you see all the threads. It's all about building threads and just creating the tapestry that later on you'll, you'll you know, it's like a spider's web, right? At some point, all those little threads are gonna connect. So just don't give, I love that. Steve, thank you so, so much for joining. Uh, again, you can follow him at Steve Valentine on Twitter and on Instagram. You can subscribe to magiconthego.com uh, monthly or yearly. It's a great resource. So definitely check that out at magiconthego.com. Steve, you. thank you so much again for joining. Uh, stay safe and stay well. And uh, I hope our paths cross soon. Uh, me too. Thank you, Harrison. That was a blast. Take uh, care. Bye-bye. Steve Valentine, everybody. Unbelievable. Uh, what an incredible guest. A huge thank you uh, to Steve, as well as our surprise guest, Billy Kidd, our uh, fake out mystery guest, Lindsay, uh, Chipper Lowell, and Chris Milpot. Um, just a huge thank you to Alexander for his support throughout his tenure as president of the IBM. A huge congratulations uh, to Stephen Bergazzi. If you'd like to join the IBM, International Brotherhood of Magicians, you just go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. You can sign up for a new membership. You can renew your membership. You get copies of Lincoln Ring, which is an incredible publication. Um, so make sure you do that uh, and support uh, really one of the best magic organizations in the world. Uh, and you can tune into this show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. if you're on the East Coast, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, we have a great guest next week, I swear to you. That is on uh, Wizard's Honor. Wizard's Honor. And uh, I can't wait to see you next week, next Wednesday, same time, same place, whoflicksat.com. Thanks so much again for joining. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. You can catch me at Harrison Comedy. Good night. Uh, stay safe and stay well, and we'll see you next week. Who put that with Harrison Greenbaum? I'm singing the song I always sing. It's presented by IPM. <laughs>